This is episode 124 of Alohomora for February 14th, 2015. Hey there, listeners. Welcome back to Alohomora, MuggleNet.com's global reread of Harry Potter. And happy Valentine's Day from all of us. I'm Michael Harley. <laughs> I'm Kat Miller. <laughs> and I'm Allison Sigurd. And this week's guest is going to be a very familiar voice for all of you. It's our very own Laura Riley. Welcome Yay. back, Laura. Hey. <laughs> I couldn't keep me too long away from it, especially now with the chapter that we're doing now. Just uh, needed yes, to come back. <laughs> Best Valentine's surprise ever. Yeah. I needed to say hi to my Valentine. So, <laughs> you know. All right. And this week, before we get started, we just want to remind everyone to listen to, or to listen to, listen to or read chapter six of Half-Blood Prince, Draco's Detour. But before we get to chapter six of Half-Blood Prince, we're going to rewind to chapter five and some of your responses from last week's episode. Uh, and there were there were a lot of uh, comments about this first uh, particular topic. I chose one from Hufflepug, uh, and it's about uh, the grading in the Wizarding World and the teaching in the Wizarding World. And Hufflepuff, Hufflepug rather said, "Harry's E in potion shows how a horrible teacher can affect a student's grades. Remember how Snape would give him the worst grades in the class during Order of the Phoenix." When you think about how Harry had to study potions on his own to prepare for the OWL while dealing with the stress that came at the end of his fifth year, the fact that he pulled off an E shows that he was far more competent at potions than we thought. Snape has just been so hard on him that it diminished his confidence in the subject. If Snape had administered the OWL, we might have expected Harry to get a P or even a D. Some people should just not be teachers. Almost everyone has known a teacher who should probably have picked another career. And I had to I had to use this comment not only because yay more Snape bashing hallelujah but <laughs> but also in, in in relation to the fact as I'm sure many of our listeners know there is a video that has gone viral of Snape's moments uh, from the Harry uh. Potter films that have been edited in uh, chronological order um, and has once again really risen the debate beyond the fandom into the general public of uh, Snape's behavior and whether. Uh, so some of his actions were okay. And I thought this was an excellent counterexample to that particular video. Yeah, and that video is so old. Yeah, that's the funny like, part. It's from, it's, it's from like 2013 or something. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so old. I know, it's so old. That was so two years ago. But I just mean, like, how, how does that happen? How does a video that hasn't been around uh, for know. a year and a half suddenly like <laughs> you know oh, the thing i didn't snake. understand about what? that video is just like his story isn't told that not chronological yeah in the, in the movies <laughs> <How did we laughs> like, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty told completely chronologically and then the flashback <laughs> is told chronologically within the flashback so yeah. what we did was just splice that and I was pretty expecting much. to be overcome with emotion. And I was like, this is just the film. <laughs> but, yeah. 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 Pretty much. Just Congrats on going viral. My full thoughts on that. See my Twitter rant. <laughs> but yeah, no, in relation to this comment, I thought it was a pretty good, um, a pretty excellent example, um, pretty excellent proof, actually, um, of Harry's competency in this particular um, class. Because as we saw, the, um, of course, the OWL grades are based pretty strictly on that 
on on their exams and nothing else. And so for Harry to pass with an E with an exceeds expectations, I thought myself when I first read it was pretty astonishing considering what he's gone through in the past years. Um, Didn't he technically get an EE? An E, an EE, however you want to say it. Everybody knows what Sorry. I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm a, you are a Ravenclaw. So. <laughs> I mean, I, I do think it's shocking just because like, I feel like even if you if you have a bad teacher, even if you would, would be good at the subject, I think it kind of puts a mental block up of you wanting to learn the subject. Like, I believe there I was a time that. in my life where I liked math. <laughs> I can't confirm that, but it's like a distant, suppressed memory. But then, like, I had a terrible teacher in, like, seventh grade, and I have not looked back since on the, like, full math hatred train. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I feel like it is really impressive that he, like, has overcome that because... What incentive did he really have? Because he only decided he wanted to be an Auror, like, a month ago. And, I mean, okay, <laughs> like, since none of us are wizards, Rosie's not here, so <laughs> we can't ask her. But, um, I mean, how, and maybe this is just my ignorance, but how hard do we think potions is? Is is it like baking? Like cooking. You know, that's what I was thinking. It's like baking. That's why so it's like, to be really good. I'd equate it, it more. Right. Like it's supposed to be to chemistry. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Oh, never I meant mind like then. if you're good, if like if you can follow the instructions, you can make brownies. <laughs> they may not be as amazing as somebody who is a master baker, but well, I think I think potions have a few more potential to do horrible things. Yeah, to, if they go wrong than, well, yeah. pers- than brownies. Right? No, I understand that. <laughs> well, I suppose. I mean, Kat, like I am on your side of this. I've always equated potions with like cooking, but at the same time, now as like Allison just said, with like chemistry, like the argument can be made that you can like. Like, not so, like, you know, in like Breaking Bad, where it's like, you know, they're making like meth, and it's like, yeah, they're just following his recipe. Right. And that's the whole point of it is that anyone can do it because if they're just following the recipe, but like, he's the master, so his is like particularly better. That's essentially like kind of the same. Right. Thing. So, like, I'm not super surprised. Can by- I talk about meth on the podcast? <laughs> yeah. Something I'm so, like, to. I'm not super surprised by this grade because it, I feel like if you can follow the instructions, you can, you can pass. And Harry is smart, so, you know, he probably followed the instructions better because Snape isn't the toolbox, like, kneel- like <laughs> kneeling over him the whole time. Yeah. So uh, this doesn't really surprise me. It would have surprised me if he got an O, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. Harry gets O's in only one thing. So. See, I used to think potions would be kind of easy, but then I started doing the potions on Pottermore and melting oh a bunch gosh, of my cauldrons. I, and- <laughs> I am super good at those, by the way. I would rock it in potions, but I'm also a very good baker. See, so there, you, there go. you go. Speaking of um, grades, there, there, were, there was a lot more discussion on that, and there was another... Uh, comments on that from Scarlet Ghost, which was added to by Chocolate Frog Ravenclaw, the emotional range of McGonagall, Sharona Loomis, and Slytherin Knight. Um, they were all great comments, but I chose Scarlet Ghost because I thought it was um, a particularly pertinent one. And Scarlet Ghost said, Teachers seem to be allowed to pick and choose the grades that students can be admitted into their class with. We see Harry's hopes and dreams get crushed because Snape won't let him in the class without an o- outstanding OWL. But we later learn Slughorn will allow anyone with an exceeds expectations or up in. This isn't fair to students who have gone on not being able to take the class because Snape was teaching, but now Slughorn is, that means they could have taken the class and now it's too late. 
That also brings me to the kids who are planning on taking Defense Against the Dark Arts, but they only got an Exceeds Expectations, and now Snape is teaching, he requires an Outstanding. I guess my general point would be, is there even a curriculum at this school, or do teachers just get to teach what they want willy-nilly without any supervision guidance and guidance? Um, first, I did want to note that I, as far as... Um, and a, a few commenters brought this up. I believe that Snape does not hold his Defense Against the Dark Arts students yeah. to an outstanding... Um, because Hermione gets in. Yeah, Hermione and Ron both take Defense Against the Dark Arts, so that's not true. Um, which is also weird to note because Snape apparently lowers his expectations for defense against the dark arts um, when he changes positions. Um, Maybe because he knows nobody's as good as Harry. Oh. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I doubt that. I was just, I was trying to. Well, make it, it could be. It could, well, because then he would pretty much only be stuck with Harry for the year, right? Right. And that's oh, it. Gosh. He doesn't want to be alone with Harry Potter. <laughs> but this does seem I... sort of unfair, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I've always, I don't necessarily understand everything about the British school system, so maybe it's my ignorance, but I've always thought of these OWLs as kind of like the equal of them in America is like standardized testing in schools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the um, MCAS or whatever. Kind of, oh. um, yeah, yeah, Wait, like the does, ACT do kind others- of. Other states have those, right? No, that's a Massachusetts test. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they have similar ones. I'm going into education. I know far too much about this. <laughs> um, so that's where I've always put it. And there, it's there's certain guidelines that the state has set that you have to meet before you can move on. Mm-hmm. So I've never, I never thought about that. But why, why do the Hogwarts professors get to decide? Why is, especially if it's a ministry administered, administered test? Mm-hmm. Why do the teachers get to decide what gets you into the next level and what doesn't? All right. So the, our last comment comes from Healer in Training. And rather than about grades, this one's about um, some of the magic in the wizarding world, in particular the Weasley's clock. And Healer in Training asked, I was intrigued by the Weasley family clock, but not simply because all the hands point to mortal peril. I noticed during my read that the hand of Mr. Weasley moves to traveling while apparating. Is Mr. Weasley no longer in danger because he is, in essence, inaccessible during apparition? Also, I was curious as to when the hands all moved to the mortal peril position. Hmm. Um, Which is something I've always wondered, because I feel like for the clock Mm. to be constantly in mortal peril seems a bit, in a way, misleading. Uh, I'm going to venture out and say that um, I bet when the kids go to school, it probably changes to school. Because Hogwarts is safe, yeah. quote unquote oh, safe, you think? quote oh, unquote safe. <laughs> um, until until the last few chapters, when they all change right. back to mortal peril, right? Yeah. But then, but so then, I would say that yes. Um, part part of it, I think, is that it, the clock like still works, and so when he's traveling, he's traveling. But maybe it changes because he is indeed inaccessible. That. Would make sense. That'd be cool if you could just like yeah. continually apparate forever and like, you know, not die. Well, <laughs> I guess I guess that would be the the idea behind a vanishing cabinet, right? Because that's it's kind mm. of its own form of apparition that puts you, depending on what if, if it's working or not, it kind of puts you in between places or leads you somewhere else. Right. So I guess that could be considered a form. Of, so I guess if you were in in a properly working vanishing cabinet you wouldn't be in mortal peril on the clock so i don't know where you would be but 
I don't know. I kind of disagree that I, I mean, I, I agree with the um, in transit thing. Like if he's operating or whatever, if I'm being uh, potentially untouchable. Uh, uh-huh. But I, I do think that it's probably still in at mortal peril regardless of, because it doesn't switch Arthur to work as far as I know when he's at work, which granted is more dangerous than school. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like it would still be at school. I, the thing I, that I'm not sure about is like, why whether that why that would have changed after like order of the phoenix because the dark lord's been around since goblet of fire right the the thing that's always bothered me about the clock as much as i love it is the fact that this mortal peril even exists because the rest of the things are locations school home work Uh. traveling I don't know what the rest are. But why is mortal peril on there? <laughs> because that's like a state of being. It's not a location. Yeah. That yeah. always true. bothered me about that clock. As much as I love it and want that in my house, it bothers me. I'm well, like, and then, of course, and, and then if if you kind of put forth the, the suggestion, perhaps, that the mortal peril is there because all the other ones are also ways to kind of keep tabs or keep track of the individuals yeah. in your family and whether they need help having if if we're in a time of war and everybody's hands are constantly pointed to mortal peril that doesn't do anybody any good right like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so then it's pointless to have a mortal peril section on your clock if it's Where's, just gonna be there all the time is percy's still on there or did his did like break off or something i think it's i still think on his there. is still on there yeah, yeah. As far as I know. Well, and that's the other thing, too. Does, because, and, you know, I guess we won't go too far into this for certain reasons, but when people die, do their hands just disappear <laughs> off the clock? Like, what, where does the Where does their hand go? I'm not prepared for that yet, so we're not going to talk about that right now. <laughs> I'm not prepared. Fair enough. And, but. You know, I'm just, wait, I was just channeling Noah briefly. Um, no, I'm not going to ask if it's a lie. <laughs> Is it the clock lie? <laughs> but I, I was thinking about the, like, when the hands changed. And uh-huh. do you think that the clock knows, like, was reading the Daily Prophet and was, like, on the ministry side? And then once Harry, the truth came out, the clock was like, oops, I guess Harry was right. Now we're all in mortal peril. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, does, does, <laughs> can the cl- more in full force, like, just, like, even just in comparing, yeah. like, the movies, like, you know, it's still very much lurking in the shadows in Order of the Phoenix, but then you see, like, half Prince opens with, like, the bridge, uh, London Bridge falling down or whatever. So um, it's... <laughs> You know, um, <laughs> because it's 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 more like a present danger. Yeah, because if 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 it had been gauged off of, you know, the household, then it definitely would have been in mortal peril mm-hmm. long before because they obviously all believed Harry. So what if it gauges well, off yeah, that... the way they're feeling? Hmm. So it's no. like somehow connected to each member of the family. And so it's like. Because it would have to be somehow, right? To know where they are. I kind of, I kind so, of doubt that just because I don't feel like. Fred and George in particular are like really feeling any sense of like peril just in how much like even in being in Diagon Alley and just totally not like caring about anything like being like totally uh, not caring about what the Death Eaters have to say clearly by their merchandise. I don't imagine mm-hmm. them inherently feeling mortal, pe- mortal peril enough to warrant maybe, that. Maybe, maybe it's just connected to Molly then. I was, I was just going to say that. I was going to say that too. Because when... Well, when you think about it, the clock is a very kind of 
maternal concept in yeah. that it's mm-hmm. constantly keeping track. It's a very, at least if not parental, definitely maternal. Cause it's just very, it's very much keeping track of your children. And, and Molly reflects that. Yeah. I'd say probably the most out of the Weasleys. Um, so that's definitely a possibility that it's a reflection of yeah. one individual's kind of emotions or feelings. Especially mm-hmm. since so, she's be- been carrying it around constantly. That's like the problem, like would that make sense for Mortal Peril, but like for the other ones, it's like she refers to clock and being like, Oh, he's traveling back from work, like the clock's informing her. Right. Yeah. So it's see, like not stuff that she necessarily yeah. knows. The clock there's issues with the clock. Issues well, yeah, because I was gonna say if the clock just like Kat was saying, if it if it either took if if it took in kind of like just a social consciousness of what the general wizarding world is feeling, or if it is like flat out telling the truth by its own kind of judgment right. then if it if it if they had all gone to mortal peril after fourth year the clock could technically be used as some kind of proof that Voldemort's back yeah it's alive <laughs> so it is alive <laughs> Noah one everything everybody else three million <laughs> you, you get that one buddy <laughs> so the debate on on the Weasley family clock continues um and there were lots of other great discussions uh in the comments this week i couldn't uh highlight all of you because there were tons of comments this week but i did want to shout out to a few of you slytherin knight chocolate frog ravenclaw and frodo weasley you all had a great discussion about hermione and the weasley's treatment of fleur uh during the last chapter hufflepuff uh, Hufflepug started a great conversation with Waffles and Rebecca the Ravenclaw <laughs> about how many owls Hermione received in v- different editions of Half-Blood Prince. Uh, they've taken my wheezy and healer in training, uh, kind of broke down their the reasons for their waning enthusiasm levels for Half-Blood <laughs> Prince, which was actually really interesting to read. Um, Outspoken One uh, discussed Dumbledore's revised plan in very great detail. And Fizz the Wisby and Hufflepuffskeen, you both sent in some great audio booms. We unfortunately couldn't use them this week. A few of them were a little too long, um, but they were some great points. And if you guys, the listeners, would like to continue the discussion on previous chapters, feel free to visit the Alohomora website and join in the discussion. And I think if you click the little link on the left side for the notice board or the owlry, you can listen to those audio booms from other people because yes. we get a lot of audio booms and we don't play them all. So mm-hmm. definitely head over and check those out because they're even the ones we don't play on the show are brilliant. They're usually just like four minutes long. Hufflepuff skein. So <laughs> just saying. Um, yeah. And with that, we're going to move into our podcast question of the week responses from last week. This lovely question asked by Kristen. I will read it to remind you all of its loveliness. It says, In this chapter, thanks to Dumbledore's encouragement, Harry confides in Ron and Hermione about what the prophecy actually stated. What would have happened to Harry's progress had he kept them in the dark? What qualities does Dumbledore see in both Ron and Hermione that he feels would aid Harry in his quest? So we had a long discussion on this. It got cut out of the episode last week, which is good because we wanted to use it for the question of the week. So I was really excited um, to see the responses. And I picked two this week because I have a feeling they're going to sprout some pretty good debate. So our first one here comes from, I don't know how to pronounce this, so I'm going (laughs) to spell it. Um, (laughs) Mrs. S-L-R-K-L-S. Mrs. (laughs) Slurkles. So, is that an L or an I? I think it's an L because I when I looked on Twitter, I think it was L's. Okay. Her real this name is... is Katie. So 
I'm just putting that out there. Okay. The comment says, ultimately, he, as in Dumbledore, encouraged him to share this with the two of them, not only so that Ron and Hermione knew what they were getting into by continuing to support Harry, i.e. they would lose him in the end, but he also knew from his own mistakes that keeping secrets causes pain and sadness to the ones you love. I don't think Dumbledore could bear to have Harry live with that burden like he, Dumbledore, did until the day he died. He knew that Ron would be a constant reminder of family, love, and laughter. And those are all the good things in the world that are worth dying for. He was certain that Harry would need Hermione to keep him focused and grounded rather than react to his instinct to always, quote, play the hero. So I I, I don't want to weigh in too much on this. <laughs> I, want, I want to hear what you guys think because, we, like I said, we had a really big debate on this last week. What are your thoughts? This this is one of the portions of the book more than any other where Dumbledore seemed, as far as his grand plan, seemed very, very aware of what was going to happen, mm-hmm. um, especially with the Deluminator, because he was like, Ron is going to abandon you at this very specific time, and he's <laughs> going to need this to get back. Um, and also that he seemed to be just as aware that not only would Harry need Hermione to ground him, but Hermione wouldn't require Harry to figure out the Deathly Hallows puzzle um, because she doesn't think that way. Yeah. Um, she thinks very literally. Um, and she doesn't think in terms of like kind of uh, legends and fantasy as being possibly real, um, which was her problem. So really, she he knew that all three of them were very strongly tied to each other. Um, what was that joke a few episodes ago? I think it was our guest on whichever episode that was. I was it was one of our authors. Um, who guessed it? And she said, uh, she said that, and Ron's around so that he can play chess if Harry ever needs to play <laughs> chess. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> but, uh, it, which, well, well, which was funny because, you know, <laughs> traditionally chess is usually marked as somebody who has a great strategic mind, especially for battle, um, which never really <laughs> comes to light from Ron. Um, so I don't know. I, he has Ron has good ideas. He has yeah. good ideas, but like I'm not perhaps like strategic ideas. I dare for you war. to name a good idea Ron like had <laughs> to prior, go into prior, the chamber of secrets. The chamber of secrets. Yes. <laughs> um. Um. Uh, the uh the 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 sweets at the end of Order of the Phoenix where he uh yep. no what he yep. says he says something and he distracts Malfoy. I think the sweets is the movie, but yep. Some no that. Ha- uh, maybe right. he says something in the book he initiates that plan in the book too <laughs> yeah take that laura <laughs> i think i think that like he harry would i mean everyone this is not a unique opinion but like yeah harry would not have been able to do it particularly with without hermione ron's there i guess oh, yeah. i would say for moral support but ron like offered the least amount of moral support like at a certain <laughs> point in his journey so i don't know i love ron i'm not saying i don't i'm just questioning his value slightly but um yeah no i i, I agree that dumbledore saw at least these qualities in both of them and deemed them important and wasn't at least putting it all on harry i i agree with Hermione the part Granger that he needs to let Ron and Hermione know that there's a good chance he could die. Because mm-hmm. that you can't just throw pop that out on them when it happens. And when Harry knew, he needs to give them a chance to 
work through this yeah. and accept that possibility so that they'll be okay. Yeah, I think that was actually the the because I forgot that Dumbledore and Harry have their discussion in the broom shed before they before Harry goes to the to the burrow. Um, uh, since I haven't read the book in a while, and uh, that is a very I think that is definitely a very important element of this that when Dumbledore says you need to tell Harry uh, Ron and Hermione about the prophecy because that's kind of being unfair to them and it's also good for your morale as well take something off of your shoulders i kind of i just thought of this now but um i think it also kind of validates harry's need to follow down this journey because i think it's easy particularly for hermione to say that like like don't get involved like this is you know dumbledore's war or whatever like to something Mm. like being like oh you're young like like don't be the hero but him being specifically well not named in the prophecy but implied in the prophecy like makes it almost seem like the cosmology is forcing him to be to go down this path and like they can't do anything to stop him Mm -hmm. it's like validating it kind of you know what i just thought of one (laughs) <laughs> he reminds he reminds Hermione that she's a witch and yes. spells and yes. make fire with her wand. That's important. I'm gonna come up with another one. I was gonna <laughs> say his greatest moments are in Sorcerer's Stone. <laughs> he was on point in first year, Ron. Good job, Ron. Okay, our next comment here comes from Fizz the Wisby. It says Dumbledore could have been using Harry's past dealings with stress as the reason for giving him this advice. In the past, whenever Harry has been faced with difficult situations, he has internalized them. Yup. Cedric's <laughs> death, Umbridge's treatment of him, and the dreams from Voldemort are all instances in which Harry has hidden things or not shared things with his friends. None of these times had positive outcomes. Dumbledore could be thinking about his family problems and how destructive keeping secrets from your friends and family can be. If you add the fact that without Ron's support and loyalty and Hermione's intelligence and skill, he would probably have died. Let's be honest. Even before the Horcrux search. Harry would have died without them in the first book trying to get Quirrell. Yep. That, that yep. sums it up, I think. Yeah, that, well, I think in a way it kind of goes, perhaps Dumbledore's thinking goes all the way back to that excellent example from Sorcerer's Stone where those challenges did seem to be so perfectly set up for those three. Yeah. Um, and mm. they all proved their mettle in different ways in 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 different challenges um in different types of challenges so yeah it's funny too how dumbledore's been keeping such a close eye on hermione and ron without really having ever interacted with them yeah Yeah. they've had like two conversations over the (laughs) five years yeah yeah yeah, it's it's funny when you realize that that. wait has hermione even been in a room with dumbledore alone i don't i don't think so so. Mm -mm. i know ron has yeah but no, Dumbledore hasn't. No, or so Hermione he probably hasn't. gets all his information on Hermione from McGonagall. We don't know what interactions they had regarding the Time Turner. Mm, but that, I, I think, think the book kind of implied that they those were facilitated by McGonagall, though. But I think anything beyond like perhaps academic stuff like hasn't really been discussed much with them from yeah. Dumbledore. Yeah. So yeah, it is kind of a funny thing when you think about. It. I I think these points that Fizz Lewisby brings up about Cedric's death and, like, Umbridge's treatment of Harry are very interesting because we see that when Harry internalizes those, things only get worse, but it's when he Mm -hmm. talks to Ron Hermione about them that things get better. For example, when um, his hand's getting sliced open, 
when he finally tells them, Hermione finds that thing that makes it, that heals it. That was just the first example I could think of. So, really though, they, he can't hold it all in. He has to tell them to make it well, work. Well, and as, as we see in Deathly Hallows with other interactions that Harry has, he probably would have kept it from them if Dumbledore hadn't told him not to because yeah. he doesn't tell anybody else yeah. <laughs> very adamantly um, about what he's up to. Even people who he trusts pretty much thoroughly, like McGonagall or Lupin, he won't tell. Um, so, yeah. That it, is discipline, I'll tell you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Really, was, like, like, you know... I don't do this with the big secrets, but like the trivial ones where my friends are like, oh my God, don't tell so-and-so that I like borrowed took $5 from her wallet. I'll be like, oh my God, she totally took $5. From her <laughs> <laughs> but so I have no, I mean, that's not true. Like big secrets I could do, but. Um, Petty this secrets. Is a, this, yeah, this is a big secret. So kudos, kudos to Harry yeah. on that. That's, they're, those are difficult to keep, especially when basically your entire life and fate is tied to it. Yeah. Who needs a secret keeper when you have Harry Potter around? <laughs> yeah. So the, uh, I think that wraps up our podcast question of the week responses. Um, there was a bajillion and a half more that I counted. So definitely <laughs> go check them out at alohomora.mugglenet.com. Okay. Well, now it's time for our chapter discussion on chapter six. <laughs> Chapter 6. Draco's Detour. So, in this chapter, our chapter summary, as Harry's birthday passes, it's time to start getting ready to go back to Hogwarts with a trip to Diagon Alley. Mrs. Weasley is more nervous, and the trip is not nearly as fun as we've come to know them. Draco and his mother show up to be nasty, but the day gets monumentally better when the Weasleys, Harry, and Hermione head to Fred and George's new store, Weasley's Wizard Wheezes. However, Draco is up to no good, and after following him to Borgnum Burks, Harry is determined to find out what his arch-rival is up to. So the first thing that kind of happens in this chapter um, is at Harry's birthday dinner, we get all of these mentions of uh, mysterious disappearances. Um, a lot of them characters we've heard before that are just really high profile. So the first one we get mentioned is Karkaroff, who we learn has been killed, um, which this mention also includes a mention of Regulus Black. And is this our first mention of Regulus or did we hear about him in Order of the Phoenix? I think we um, actually, I, I think we heard about him in this book with Slughorn, right? Oh, that's right. Um, yeah. I, I believe Slughorn mentioned that he wanted the set of blacks, right? I think someone would have like. I feel like that would have come up. Oh, um, serious when he was talking about yeah. his background. Yeah, about the, the oh, that's, that's right. like likely to come up. The there. tapestry. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. He's okay, that's right. He's mentioned okay. on the tapestry. Well, yeah, yeah. In any case, Regulus is getting a lot of mention in this book for. Yeah. Reason. I wonder Obvious why. reasons. <laughs> Probably like the least mysterious thing in all of the Harry Potter series that every fan guessed. <laughs> anyway, we also find out that Florian Fortescue, the ice cream shop owner, has disappeared. Aww. And we actually got some very so interesting sad. and sad information about this on Pottermore, where yeah. JK Rowling said this was the only death she really feels guilty about because it's all her fault. Which is very <laughs> sad. Yeah, it is her fault. <laughs> I was really excited. I was really excited about that information, though, because that actually, like, 
right after we theorized that, that pretty much confirmed the theory, her post, that Florian was meant to be yeah. captured to give some historical information to Harry um, about the Hallows and, and Hogwarts because he, is, he has a relative who was a Hogwarts headmaster. Um, yeah. And that was where the, the setup came from. And yeah, that is it is a shame that it was lost because it was very well set up. Mm-hmm. I, I like didn't know this. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's because yeah, you yeah. don't go on Pottermore. I know. I like forgot my password. But, like, <laughs> that is so sad. <laughs> but like that's actually devastating. I never for once thought he actually died. I I thought like he just got like saved. You, you, oh, yeah. I don't know. I've never thought too hard about it, and I just assumed he like came back and. They- you know what? You <laughs> like know really what? Nightly. You know what makes me the saddest is the the fact that now where do people go to get butterbeer ice cream? Of course, the one that will become most important disappearance is that of Ollivander, who has yeah. disappeared. Which- yeah, well, because it, it, it's kind of funny that it's actually kind of works in a way that she didn't end up using Florian because she would have had like how many sources from Diagon Alley? Yeah. Just random shop owners who knew <laughs> lots and lots of stuff. So in a way that kind of works better that Florian didn't end up being a bearer of information for that. Because Ollivander, I think, is more cut out so for Florian, it plot-wise anyway. So Florian was going to, he was probably going to be the one to kind of help with the Ravenclaw thing, I imagine. Yeah, that's what yeah. I assumed. Because he would have, right? he, he, well, he would have knowledge about Hogwarts probably. from Right, his, well, in the the Room of Requirement and yeah. Rowena probably, right? Yeah. That's what I would assume. That's he, probably would like guess. the Founders things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it would have been a little too... Convenient. Too much. Yeah. Too yeah. much. I didn't mourn Karkar off at all, though. Peace out, oh. brother. Yeah, bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. think his, his students even mourned yeah. him. So. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> oh. Anyway, speaking of Diagon Alley shopkeepers, our next place is Diagon Alley, of course, where they go to get their school supplies, finally. Um, and so, my, my one question I found here was why, we kind of talked about this earlier, but why is Molly so panicked in this book? as opposed to Order of the Phoenix. I mean, she went to Diagon Alley herself last year. She's never really had a problem with it. Is it just Voldemort's now in the open? The, and the thing that always got me, too, is that Molly always believed Harry. Yeah. So mm-hmm. suddenly, I mean, I I get it. Like, he's bigger now, and he's actually, like, doing things in the world, like the the the, the troll or the giants, whatever, in the, the bridge thing. And stealing people, but like she should have been panicked kind of all along. Yeah. Really. I am surprised based on Molly's, you know, usual protectiveness of her family, perhaps, but at the same time, Molly was very in with the Order of the Phoenix and knowing what was going on as far as Voldemort's actions. And from what's implied from Order, since we don't go to Diagon Alley, um the implication is that it's not quite as overrun with back alley deals and such yet in order of the phoenix like mm-hmm. it, it like it's running rampant in half blood prince yeah. um versus i think order where it's it's still fairly nor like it's still normal because since the alley as we've seen before tends to take you know cues from the ministry um, if the ministry didn't believe Voldemort was back, then Diagon Alley wouldn't be behaving like he was back. Um, and there certainly wouldn't be Death Eaters out, like, kind of doing their thing out in the open then, anyway. So, I could I could see 
in some ways why she wouldn't have seen it as much of a threat. But she went by herself to go pick up the stuff. So she didn't go with yeah. them. Yeah, so. I bet the clock wasn't on mortal peril. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been. They weren't at the. They weren't at the borough then. So that's true. <laughs> Didn't have a clock. Yeah. Anyway, speaking though, thank you, Michael, of these black market kind of things, um, we get this this interaction with this amulet seller, um, <laughs> and it kind of made me think of this discussion last week that there seem to be these indications in this book that. The larger wizarding world is not as competent in some things like defensive magic as <laughs> the characters we follow along. Is this one of those kinds of... Is that what Joe is kind of going towards, I guess, is what I'm going for with these kind of mentions? I mean, I think it's it's not so much that they aren't as competent as they they don't... Their lives haven't required them to do extraordinary, like things in that regard, like particularly like defense against the dark arts, because you think of even all the people that are at Hogwarts, all the like nameless people that have never gotten into trouble, mm-hmm. never had to go through all these things. And they, they came when they're 11, then they leave when they're 17 and they get some job with the ministry. And like, they've never really had to deal with these extreme things, but now that something extreme is entering their life, it's almost like, Oh, like, well, I never really took that that seriously because I was never, given this, like, pressure to, whereas, like, Harry does, so he has taken it very seriously. So I think it's not that they're, like, bumbling idiots. I just think their lives haven't really, like, given them much of a reason to act that serious about that sort of thing. Well, and and wizards seek out convenience. Like, their lives are pretty much based on convenience. So I think they can be more easily taken in by scams because they look for that, you know, they and 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 Pottermore's discussed this too, but they almost completely depend on and trust the ministry for everything. <laughs> um, and when that lets them down, they'll seek other means out of desperation. Um, I mean, this there's a there's a smaller scale version of this that occurs in various years at Hogwarts. Like when the Chamber of Secrets is opened, and oh, then there's yeah. like this crazy trade in amulets, and people believe it. Um <laughs> So I think that's just the nature of wizards is to buy into those kinds of things because they're always looking for whatever's easy. Especially because, like you said, Allison, I, I think it is true that the more the books have gone on, the more we've discovered that wizards actually aren't very good at defensive magic. <laughs> um, Harry, Harry is just praised as being an expert at defense against the dark arts. Yeah. Um, so I think that is true. That And, you know, maybe that else has to do with having been in a state of peace for a very long time that wizards just don't really f- see the value in defensive magic. Um, Cause that happens in the real world too. Yeah. Well, from while in Diagon Alley, uh, Harry and Hermione end up going to Madame Malkin's where we run into a certain someone. And the first thing I got to say is just Draco is such a jerk in this scene. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, yeah, his his ego is sky high, size of China right now. It's also mm-hmm. like in the same way we were talking about like this viral video going on with Snape, like because he had one redeeming slightly moment at the end. Like I've always <laughs> felt the same way with Draco. Like everyone's like, no, Draco is like obviously he's very much product of his environment, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But like 
at the same time, he's like an, an unexcusable jerk. And there's like reasons yeah. like this where I don't understand. And the same way JK Rowling recently said was like, it worries me that like girls like identify yes. with him. Yes. Like, because she's given you very few reasons to feel that way. And even with Narcissa, like Narcissa is acting like a terrible human here because yes. she is one just because she had one moment of like help for Harry for her own reasons. Like everyone like glorifies her. But well, she's no, she's a terrible person. <laughs> okay, uh, I will agree with you on Snape. I disagree with you on Draco um, for a lot of reasons that if I got into them, um, <laughs> it would take hours. And um, and Cat has a cat named Narcissus. So well, and I also ha- I <laughs> also have a cat named Bellatrix or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I thought you had a, like Bella, right? No, was no, Tibby is the other one. Totally non Harry Potter name. No, I, I also I do Narcissa is one of my favorite adult characters. Um, I don't necessarily think that she's redeemable, but I think she's an amazing character. I like her more than Snape. I think she has more redeeming qualities than Snape. Um Yeah, I think I think Draco I I don't look up to him and I do think he's a jerk. I think Draco um, has potential for improvement. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't equate him with Snape really at at all. I think if anybody is anybody who's a baddie who has a redeeming quality and deserves to be glorified, quote unquote glorified, it's Draco. So okay, I'll say that I give him a pass in the sense that I don't know what he does eighteen and older. Like I like Snape's a full fully grown man. I and you know obviously Draco's like a child who's going through all this. But I'm saying like in the context that we're given of Draco, no, I don't think he really has that like that many yeah. redeeming moments. I give him like the benefit of the doubt that he becomes a better person in the rest of his life, but in the context of our seven stories that we have, to me what happens in Deathly Hallows is like not enough to make up for him being like a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. In these specific oh. scenes, like even just like superficially a jerk, like not him trying to kill like, Dumbledore and whatnot, but just plain <laughs> old. Watch your eye, Granger. I want to send them flowers. Who says like, that? Yeah, oh, come on, like, he's showing off for his mother. <laughs> I mean, yes, he's a jerk, but listen, like he never got anybody murdered. Okay, almost Katie Bell, but he didn't kill her. And Wrong. he didn't actually ever want to kill her. Is like not killing people the the judge that like what we're judging? <laughs> if we're like, if we're com- character, if we're comparing him to Snape, yes, that is a fair level of judgment. If we're comparing That's him true. to Snape in their level of redeemability, because Snape legitimately got a lot of people killed yeah. because well, of his I, I, because well, of I'm, his qualities. I'm not saying he's worse than Snape. Like I am, I'm fully. I just made the statement. But you're saying it's on the same stuff. level. I'm not saying it's on the same level. I was just saying that was like similar a similar conversation to what we were having earlier but it's not the exact same level because once again like draco is a a teenager versus snape's a fully grown man snape's definitely worse well yeah because and the thing you know saying you know since we don't really know and the the information we do get on malfoy afterwards is a bit scant pretty much the most rebellious thing he does is that he marries a, a astoria greengrass and she's and she's not really she 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 doesn't sympathize with death eater tendencies, which is disappointing to Malfoy's family. Um, and that's kind of the most rebellious thing he does. And yeah. he's he's not exactly like tolerant anymore. Like he does he doesn't become tolerant, perhaps, but he's he's changing slightly. So so there is that benefit of the doubt, like you said, Laura. But yeah, I and 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 I and we'll get to this a little more detail later. But I do have you know I I have feelings about 
Draco and his attempted murders, because quite honestly, while everybody's like, well, he didn't try that hard. And I'm like, well, yeah, but he still tried to kill yeah. people. Yeah. So, no, it's, it's, and, yeah. and they survived through no fault of Draco. Like it was luck on their part that they didn't die. Um, we should so, do a special episode on Draco. We probably should yes. with all the information that came out about him. But yeah, there's definitely, I think he's, I think he's a little bit more worthy of debate than Snape. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. Snape's so. not redeemable. You suck. <laughs> I wasn't meaning to say like put them on the same plane yeah. in that regard. I was just saying it was a similar conversation to what yeah, we were having yeah. earlier of it. Like Absolutely. people glorifying um, mm-hmm. a villain when scenes like this just remind me like, oh wait, this person is a jerk, like, is actually just very rude to people. And that's what I was saying, like, with Narcissa, even, like, um, this isn't the time to have the Narcissa debate, but, like, um, you know, she's being, like, really rude to, like, Madame Malkin and, like, innocent children and whatnot. <laughs> and it's, it's like, oh, but she loves her children. It's like, yeah, you can say the same thing about Cersei Lannister, but I'm not going to say she's a good person. <laughs> like, so it's like, um, I don't know. That's what I'm saying is just that I feel like we get caught up in being like, oh, no, they're such great people, but they're not. Well, I no. would just say, since you use the word villain, that I don't think Draco's a villain. And then I'll leave my my I'll leave it there. Well, speaking of Narcissa, she is the next topic. Um, she has this quote where she says, Dumbledore won't always be there to protect you. And it, it just came across to me as she's very assured that this plan is going to go through. So does she really have that much faith in Snape or is she just trying to convince herself, Draco, everyone, that this is going to work? I think she's genuine because she because Snape took the unbreakable vow. Like her, she's pretty rest assured, I think, after that point. So which has brought back some of her haughtiness and confidence and why she's behaving so horribly right now. (laughs) So, okay. I mean, granted, Harry is d- Harry is kind of also punching below the belt with like, I put your dad in prison. Um, but <laughs> with, you know, it's valid because he did. And Lucius deserves to be in prison. So it's it's kind of a equal footing from both of their perspectives, I guess. Yeah. But is is Narcissa right then? Does Harry have a little bit of false confidence because Dumbledore's around? Well, I mean, he doesn't know what she does. Mm. You know? So, I mean, no, I don't think it's false confidence because in his eyes, it's not false. You know, I actually love snarky Harry where he's like, haha, well, he's not here. Come at me, woman. He's like, let's do this. (laughs) You know, it's just, I I, I don't know. No, I I think, um, I think it's, like you said, Kat, to Harry, it's not false because. I th- I think we get the sense by the time the book's over that Harry never really thought Dumbledore was ever going to die. So, yeah. or at least would be around for the length of this battle. So, eh, I think and perhaps it's misplaced confidence, but not false. But poor Madame Malkin, right? Yo, like, yeah. That woman, bless her. <laughs> like, oh, I think the sleeve needs to come up a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, feel bad for her. I, I think I think too the the kind of nice, neat thing about this scene that a lot of people I think forget because of the movie as well. While Harry and Malfoy formally meet on the express, they actually see each other for the first time in. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. 
That's so, true, true, true. And they have such a nasty encounter with each other then as well. Yeah. So the tradition continues, but I don't think they'll be going to <laughs> Meta Malkins anymore. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh. Well, anyway, moving from <laughs> huh. one store to the next, we now get to one of the greatest things in the series, which is Weasley's <laughs> Wizard Wheezes. <laughs> it's Yay! just fabulous. First of all, Fred Bang, and George are magic. <laughs> Fred and George are borderline genius with some of these products. Um, some of the ones I picked out were You Know Poo. Which, why? <laughs> why? Why not? That's my question. Why? <laughs> why not? Do you want to be constipated? Like... <laughs> no, but I think it's meant as a, like, a prank to make someone yeah. else. I, yeah. That would make more that's sense. That's so mean. Oh, these these pranks are very mean. Fred and George oh, yeah. have devised some pretty horrific things to do to people. Like, and did they test those out on each other? Probably. Yeah, they, they they did. They they claimed in the last book that they were they were they were their own test subjects for quite a while until they got to Hogwarts. Yeah. They talk hey, about Georgie, their... I want I want to make you constipated today. You ready? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Sounds great. Yeah. All right, we've got patented daydream charms. I want one. <laughs> I want yeah. one. Those sound awesome. I want one so bad. I, yeah, currently hate my muggle job. So <laughs> can I get an eight hour charm, please? <laughs> Drool, I don't oh, care. It's cool. They're I'm down. Wonder Witch products. They seem to have a lot focused for girls. Well, well I think it's, it's really just like, I mean, I know they're obviously like good looking in person, but I've always even just gotten the vibe like, that like girls like them like within just yeah Hogwarts that I think they're kind of like they I think they have the demographic of like boys that are like messing around with stuff like the you know poo but like a girl is going to be like less likely to do that but like then they're like pulling them in with this and making it seem like so yeah. they're going and they're seeing the handsomely handsome Weasley twins and they're getting the love potions and stuff that they're just really yeah like you said genius not even borderline genius. They've clearly genius. done their market research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, They've the... got all grounds covered, even with the muggle um, stuff <laughs> that they have. Yeah. They truly have like, yeah. everything covered. Well, and the, the Wonder Witch product, specifically the, the, the love spell potion thing, is a, a kind of nice hint of what we're going to be getting about M. Hortensia throughout mm-hmm. this book. M. Hortensia is going to be really important. Yeah. But it's nicely just kind of dropped here. Right. And they, they even have created a new species. With the pygmy puffs. Which, isn't that illegal? Yes. <laughs> okay, and so they're like selling illegal animals? Like, do they have a pet license? Maybe. Maybe they got a, maybe they got a permit from the ministry to do yeah, that. Yeah, right. I mean, maybe. I don't know if they'd be illegal, because... Breeding is illegal. Well... Yeah, it, but, Fantastic Beasts pretty much explicitly says that you can't true. do that. I was thinking more like, in the muggle world, you can breed different things like dogs and cats and a dog and rabbits. a cat no not a dog and a cat but like <laughs> you can you can breed like different breeds of dogs to make like miniature versions yeah, of yeah but that's breeds. like not cross species are pygmy what did they come now what did they combine that i think they were just miniature <clears throat> pygmy puffs or they were on, they were puffs they're puff skeins but they've been miniaturized speaking of potential sketchy motivations um later george is talking about their kind of shield cloaks hats whatever and he says we thought we'd get into the whole area of defense against the dark arts because it's such a money spinner so normally we would would assume that one of these like 
good guys would be doing this kind of for a more noble purpose. And obviously we've kind of seen that Fred and George are very good at their business practices, but could this be kind of a darker side of them? That Sorry to ruin your image, Laura. <laughs> but could this potentially be a darker side that that's what they're more concerned about and the reason they start it? Or am I reading too much? Mm, there's no such thing as reading too much in this show. <laughs> I mean, lots of people profit from war in worse ways than others. And as we've seen on the street in Diagon Alley, there's a lot of people who are doing that in a very negative way. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the way I look at it, and sorry if I interrupted you, Michael. No, no, not at all. Is that Fred and George are doing their part to protect the population. Yes, they're making money off it because the ministry sucks <laughs> and they're paying and like they feel like, you know, you know, if the ministry wants to buy them, then we're going to charge them. And at least Fred and George are helping people and they're not making evil objects, although I mean, you know poo. So is <laughs> <laughs> a truly evil object? No, I I think I think you're right, Kat, in that they're Fred and George also are very aware of how the ministry treated not only Harry, but their father. And so to profit off of the ministry, I'm sure is very, I think that's pretty minor comeback um, for them. Considering, yeah. Yeah, considering what they could do. So, Mm -hmm. and yeah, I mean, they're not going to just make free products to, for the war. That's not practical. I mean, even in wartime, that doesn't happen. You know, it's like, Back yeah. in World War II, it was like bonds, bonds for the war. Don't, don't, don't buy bonds. So many bonds. So it's kind of like that. Everybody makes but, money off of war. I, I think, I think you're right, Kat, in that they're Fred and George also are very aware of how the ministry treated not only Harry but their father, mm-hmm. and so to profit off of the ministry, I'm sure is very. I think that's pretty minor comeback um, for them. Considering, uh, consi- yeah. Yeah, considering what they could do. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, I mean, they're not going to just make free products to uh, for the war. That's not practical. I mean, even in wartime, that doesn't happen, you know? It's like back in yeah. World War II, it was like bonds, bonds for the war. Don't, don't, don't buy bonds, so many bonds. So it's kind of like that. Everybody yeah. makes money but, off of war. But what about the motivation behind it? I think well, they didn't... They Go didn't ahead, have Kat. one. They just made it. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, because okay. they made it initially as they, they were initially made as just tricks, and then they ended up realizing that they could be like they didn't used. even really realize them. It was the ministry that came to them, and they were the ones kind of that said something, and then they were just like, "Oh yeah, those are playing along." <laughs> so. <Yeah. laughs> okay. Yeah. Regardless, I still see them as non a non-issue for me because friend George are ultimately good guys. So yes. RIP. I mean, they've been, all things considered, they've been impressively kind of tempered down by owning this store. Mm -hmm. Like this has done a lot of good (laughs) for the two of them. That's true. (laughs) Anyway. So as we are wrapping up our trip to Weasley's Wizard Weezes, we get some really, I just want to throw this out there. We get some really great Ginny moments as they discuss kind of, her ex-boyfriends, her current boyfriend. Um, we're finally starting to get this more rounded Ginny because Harry is finally paying attention. <laughs> you, you know, she's taking off her glasses. 
Let <laughs> down her hair, and now she is Princess Mia Thermopolis of Genovia. Yes. <laughs> that was such a good reference, Michael. That was so good. Laura led me there. <laughs> That's so good. Glasses. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, this is an interesting point because we had, you know, we've had a lot of listeners kind of uh, comment back to us about our discussions about not only all the, the Ginny, but all the females in Harry Potter and kind of how they're, they're, they're treated and, and narratively and why we find them frustrating. Because I know in the past we've all expressed frustrations with Ginny, but not necessarily be, at Ginny's fault. It's, it's kind of almost the way she's written or the way she's treated by the narration. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've always had frustration with this scene because what Fred and George are doing to Ginny is really inappropriate. Um, grilling her on her on her love life that really they have no business kind of judging yeah. her about but they're her brothers yeah i don't yeah. think that they're grilling yeah. her i think that they have i a, think they are well i mean i don't think that they're doing it in the sense of they're doing it they're not like shaming her they're yeah they're not like yeah we've talked before about how we think that friend george and jenny are the closest in that family yeah. How they have a very special relationship. And I think that if anybody could get away with this, what they're doing to her, it's them. Like, if Ron tried to do this, she'd slap him. Yeah. Well, he does. Because it's, well, like, that's... all in good fun, essentially. Yeah. With well, them. That, yeah. That's interesting they're to me. They're just being I, protective, I think. Yeah. That's that's really interesting, because I've heard from listeners, and I myself don't necessarily see that that way. Maybe it's because I don't have, like, a sister, so... I, and I don't my and my brother won't be dating anytime soon. So I don't have like that, you know, I don't quite have that relationship um, dynamic with anybody. But I don't know. It just it, it it it's funny because Ginny really kind of pushes back on them when they yeah. question her about this. They're really she really doesn't seem to like them uh, hounding her about it. And, and 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 like you said, if Ron tried this, he'd get in big trouble with her. And he does like Ron kind of takes his model from Fred and George and does a horrible but job of it at school. I disagree that even she's upset. And because, like, the tone that I get is all just very joking around. Like, I've heard being like, like, oh, who's it to you? Like, it's none of your business. Like, Last I heard, he was one boy, not five. Yeah, yeah. like, it's all like, it's all, like, joking. Like, like, I don't know. I feel like I do the same thing to, like, my sister and, like, vice versa. Like, and not actually being like, oh, my God, like, how dare you? But, like, Ron, the tone Ron would take is very, like, abrasive and not, like, an accusatory rather yeah. than just kind of, like, teasing, like, oh, you have a boyfriend. So, um. Well, and I guess in some way that's that's fair a fair point because she actually ends up seemingly realizing that Ron's the one who tipped Fred and George off about all of this anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, because she turns to Ron and tells him off. Um, so, I don't know, because, and, and we'll get to this. I actually pinpointed in my reread of the whole book, I pinpointed exactly where I feel that um, the development of the Harry Ginny relationship fails. There's an exact moment for me, and it's far, way <laughs> farther down the line. But, but I think this, it, I, it is nice that it's kind of like, since we're getting it narratively, like you said, Allison, that means that Harry's taking notice. Yeah. So, took him long enough. <laughs> yeah, and then he laughs at her early in the chapter, too, and he, like, chokes on his cornflakes, which is yeah, like, yeah, so yeah. cute. And then Ron, like, <laughs> oh, belts him on the back. Yeah, it's adorable. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, and then we end out the chapter by going down Nocturne Alley to Borgen and Burke's following Malfoy. So, 
we know this the plan that it, that Draco is referring to in retrospect, but did anyone catch hints about this on the first read? No, and there are no. so many. Cause yes. I already told you, bad at riddles right here. <laughs> I'd be stuck outside the Ravenclaw common room all night. <laughs> no, it's, uh, well, like I, because I highlighted that a few chapters ago, how well the setup is done and how specifically what she's, what Rowling sets up. Um, mm-hmm. And really going back, you know, looking back on it now with the concepts of circle theory, you know, if you look back to the this the this book's twin which is chamber of secrets of course all the giveaways are right there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so it is very it's very well set up how she doesn't really you know he goes to the store we can't see what he's pointing at but we know it's in morgan and burks well we know even say he was behind the cabinet yeah, yeah, it says that um, Draco stood there with her back to them, just visible beyond the very same large black cabinet in which Harry had been hidden before. Mm-hmm. Like, there, it, it's mentioned three times in, like, six pages. Yeah. Well, and then, <sighs> but right after that, she gives us the red herring of the necklace. Yeah. Which, while important, mm-hmm. is not the ultimate item. Right. So, it's... I it's, love Hermione in that scene. <laughs> Absolutely. Can I? Oh, I wish that Emma Watson had a chance to do that because yes. I just think she would have nailed it. So funny. It would have been so. I would have. So I would have liked to have seen that because it's it's that's one of Hermione's weak points uh-huh. is that she's really yeah. a bad actress. <laughs> <laughs> we get that a little bit in the Deathly Hallows movie, which was nice and excellently done by Helena Bonham Carter. Yes. Yeah. Um. But but yeah. Good morning. No, that, this, uh, <laughs> good morning. But but yeah, that <laughs> this scene would have been would have been fun to watch. Brilliant. So absolutely, yeah. I do love Ron too. His reaction afterwards, like wow, <laughs> killed <laughs> it, like, crushed it, <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, master of mystery. Oh god, <laughs> those two are so hot for each other. It's yes. it's so obvious. Perfect. It's so obvious. Uh, so the other thing I was wondering about is. Borgen is very hesitant to offer Malfoy any advice, any real answers. Do we think he's avoiding helping Malfoy? Um, I would say that, like, it's not so much that he has anything against Malfoy, that even if he's all, like, Death Eater supporter and, like, touter of dark arts and stuff, I think in watching everyone, like, diagonally, like, fall apart around him, I think he, he's nervous to play any central role in anything. In the same way, with, like, with Gorovich, like, how he, you know, like, ends up like, getting killed just because he couldn't, like, fulfill Voldemort's n- wishes, that by, like, him getting, like, he, if he's like, okay, I'm putting my this plan in the hands of this kid who's clearly gonna fail at this does that mean it's gonna result in me dying like mm, my shin? that's a good point i don't think it's anything personal against draco yeah he just has no interest in taking part at all it doesn't matter who it is or what it is or the outcome or who it's for he's saving his own skin but well, like it's also not very strong enough to actually stand up yeah and remind me but i'm pretty sure the book specifically says this is which is funny because there's still been to oddly enough in the fandom about whether this is true or not but this pretty much confirms it right Malfoy shows him a dark mark on his arm yes yeah Yeah. and some like and there's still been people in the fandom who are like Malfoy doesn't have a dark mark and I'm like no no, he does yeah he does he does (laughs) he's not showing him his blank forearm like 
like I shave. Although it doesn't say <laughs> it doesn't say that. But no. like, we what know else that. could it be? And that's yeah. what changes yeah. his mind. That's what silences him and makes him go along with it, like right. even more, like because mm-hmm. it's almost like an order from Voldemort at that point. So because because he shows it off later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I think in the movie he explicitly shows it to Dumbledore, but in the book he does not. Um, so he never. Oh right, Mister Read yeah. Ahead. I forgot you already finished the entire book. Well, isn't it helping us right now? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Yes. But 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 yeah, no. I think I think you guys are right. Borgen after being shown a dark mark, I think that's definitive that Borgen's like I'm not going to play any role in this. It's essentially the same concept as almost being like held at like held up in like a convenience store almost like those sort of things where it's like mm-hmm. you know, not going to listen and then once you present that, it's it's basically death on your forearm like as a mm-hmm. threat. Where it's like, do what I'm asking, and you know, then I'll put my my dark mark away and walk out of here. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's almost like the same thing. Now that we know Malfoy's up to something, that will carry us through to our next chapters. So, listeners, we look forward to hearing all of your comments on everything we discussed. That's a good chapter. I like that chapter. Good chapter. Yeah, I was pleased. It was like. Because I've been having to read like a thousand and a half pages for school, and it was just so nice to have yep. on my reading list last night. Like Harry Potter, like, oh, <laughs> I'll get to this one last right before bed. <laughs> so nice. You're welcome. <laughs> this, this chapter continues a really, I think, the trend of the the book where it it very nicely balances the the seriousness and the gravitas of the situation with the humor. Like yeah. they're just injected almost right in the middle of the chapter. Um to liven up the proceedings, but there's still some really dark stuff going on in this book. Um, But it's kind of nicely done as an undertone. Okay, so now we are going to move into this week's podcast question of the week. And we just had a 20-minute discussion about this, no joke. (laughs) And we considered a lot of topics, and we think that we came up with a really good one for you guys. So it's a two-parter. The first question is, who is the true Master of Mystery. Also, what should Hermione really get Draco for his birthday? You know what to do. Answer the question at lohamora.mugglenet.com or send us an audio boo and you might just hear your response on next week's episode. And yes. We sleep hard on this one. Yeah, we are not kidding. This is the actual podcast question of the week because you know what? This book is very lighthearted and it's fun and we've had an amazing amazing two-hour talk you guys will get to hear a lot of it in the bloopers i think um so we decided i decided to go light and um so so there it is your podcast question of the week Um, the amazing thing is i think we're gonna get some really good responses yeah we're gonna get some awesome responses so (laughs) there are a lot of options to choose from from who is the master of mystery in harry potter that's right so we are counting on you listeners make us proud one true master of mystery who we have to thank is Laura for coming on the show today. <laughs> because she, she, <laughs> <laughs> she's feeling really good about the fact that she has no responsibility for that yeah. question yes. of the week whatsoever. <laughs> I'm not going to be in this text chain at all. <laughs> inevitably complaining about this. Yep. But. But we were we were very glad to have you back, Laura, for this show, oh. especially so perfectly and coincidentally for the Fred and George chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but 
was very exciting. Everything worked out. Um, yeah, thank you so guys. For, uh, thank you so much, guys, for having me back. Uh, it's really nice to check in every once in a while. I'm sure you will. I'm still around. You can still follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Riley underscore Laura and Laura Riley Five. I'm always posting stuff about Harry Potter related things and my general nerdy life. And I still, you can follow me on my blog too, which is the Great Wide Somewhere, which all those links are on my social media. So I'm still around. Don't forget about me. And you'll be back for Deathly Hallows. So, yeah, I Because that's I your know. favorite. So. Exactly. Yeah, I'm going to be there. <laughs> so um, thank you so much, guys. This was a lot of fun and brought back all the memories. I've missed it. Oh, the crazy. Yeah. And if you would like to be on the show, uh, Make sure to go to our Be On The Show page at alohamora.mugnet.com. If you have a set of Apple headphones, you're all set. You don't need any fancy equipment. While you're there, make sure you download a ringtone for free on this page. And in the meantime, if you just want to keep in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at alohamoramn, facebook.com slash Dumbledore, and Tumblr at Podcast. Of course, our phone number is 206-GO-ALBUS. That's 206-462-5287. And of course, the audio boom. You can leave that for free. All you need is an internet connection and a microphone. Go over to alohomora.mugglenet.com. Press the little green button in the right-hand uh, column. And uh, keep it under 60 seconds. Hufflepuff skiing. And we'll be able to play <laughs> in on the show. And despite how business is doing in Diagon Alley, the Alohomora store is still open for business. Uh, come on in. We've got house shirts, the desk pig shirts, Mandrake Liberation front shirts, Minerva is my homegirl, so many more themed shirts products uh, to choose from, and you can we find the link for been that. We have murdered. <laughs> we have not been <laughs> murdered. Spirited away by Voldemort or killed by J.K. Rowling's pen. Um, so visit alohomora.mugglenet.com uh, to stop by our store. Personally, I just want to say it'd be an honor to be killed by her pen. Just saying. <laughs> That's very stranger than fiction of you. And make sure to also check out our smartphone app, which is available on this side of the pond and the other. Prices vary. Um, it includes things like transcripts, bloopers, alternate endings, probably half of this two-hour conversation we've had, hosts, <laughs> <laughs> and more. And um, I will say that if you guys have the smartphone app, Definitely watch last week's special feature because it was of it was Eric fabulous. and Kristen dueling at the Wizarding World, or as Eric did, dancing mostly. And then yeah. um, the one we were we will probably use next week since we have so many bloopers is um, me being super overly serious, like I generally am, dueling at that exact same thing. So um, <laughs> they're they're both pretty hilarious, and there's a lot of good stuff on the app. So. Totally check it out. But um, that's it. That's the end of episode 124. And uh, I'm Kat Miller. I'm Michael Harley. And I'm Allison Sigurd. Thank you for listening to episode 124 of Alohomora. Open the you know poo. No, no, no. No, Fred. Open the Dumbledore. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. Open open the Dumbledore. And come by Weasley's Wizard Weasley's too.
Out of all the characters in the series, who is the true master of mystery? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, can I please ask that question? What, what, could, what should Hermione have gotten Malfoy for his birthday? <laughs> the first question is, who is the true... <laughs> okay. Allison, you have to mute yourself. You're killing me. I was going to say, okay, Allison, okay. you have to mute <laughs> Killing me. All right. <laughs> Who is the true? Wait, why is it crossed out? Oh, uh, the doc's like, no, don't do that question. <laughs> is the true? <laughs> Look, why is it crossed out? Why is it doing that? Let's uh, get rid of that. Why is it doing that? There we go. Who is the true master of mystery? That's it, right? That's what she says to him, right? Yeah. Wait, should I amend it also? (laughs) What should Hermione really get? (laughs) 